Our current healthcare system requires transformation. There are a lot of people working on innovations in healthcare, but innovations do not matter unless they take into account one of the biggest problems facing healthcare, health inequity. Renee Kwashi is the Vice President of Digital Health at the Consumer Technology Association. He mentioned something that frames the problem of inequity well. One sort of um, statistic that captures this is the difference between Fairfax County and McDowell County. So Fairfax County is in Virginia, one of the richest counties in the United States. McDowell County is in West Virginia and is one of the poorest counties in the United States. They're separated by 350 miles or so, okay? But if you look at the health metrics between Fairfax County, McDowell County, it really proves to be very stark and very eye-opening. And the one statistic I'll just focus on here, again, we go back to life expectancy. So life expectancy for folks in Fairfax County, Virginia, 82 years for men, 85 for women, comparable to that of Sweden. If you look at McDowell County, West Virginia, it's 64 for men and 73 for women, which is on par with Iraq. Same country, 350-mile separation. This is 21st century health. It is clear more attention needs to be devoted to health equity. But what do we mean when we say health equity? I pose the question to leaders in the healthcare industry. To me, health equity is creating a, an environment, a situation where every individual can live their healthiest life possible. And it also, what that means is you have to meet people where they are. The idea of there being fair, just, and full access to health care and healthy living conditions for all people, regardless of wealth, um, regardless of race or geography. It's the idea that everyone, irrespective of income, zip code in which they live, ethnicity, or any other factor, any of those factors, has access to living the healthiest life possible. It's the idea that everyone has an equal opportunity to be as healthy as possible. Nothing less, nothing more. Health equity. It means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. But I want to delve deeper. I want to know the history behind the words health equity and what it actually takes to make and sustain equity for all communities. So I am talking with Dr. Alethea Maybank. Dr. Maybank, you are the Chief Health Equity Officer at the American Medical Association. You are the leading expert on the topic of health equity. Based on your experience in this area, what is health equity? When you have health equity, you have the opportunities, you have the power, you have the conditions, and you have the resources to achieve optimal health. And we all need those four things. You know, I, I try not to overlap because sometimes people just say opportunities. And I say, but yeah, opportunities are one thing, but you need resources sometimes to be able to kind of actualize those opportunities that are in front of you. It's important to know that health equity is not just the outcome of where we're getting through, but the process of how we get there also needs to be equitable. And Kamara Jones describes, you know, our opportunity to achieve equity kind of from the process perspective is one that we are valuing people equally. And I think most of us have an intention around being able to do that. But the reality is, is that our data that we have are showing like differences in health outcomes. So if our data is showing differences in health outcomes, we're not valuing all 
people equally. Like that's just the bottom line that I tell people to hold ourselves accountable. And it's hard, you know, for people with great intention to kind of see and admit that. The other part of equity is that we're recognizing the history of like how we got here in the first place. Like this, the present moment we're in, it didn't just happen. Like there's reasons we are here. And then the last part that's really critical to equity in terms of process is the redistribution of power and resources to the places of greatest need, right? It's not just providing the same, but it's how do we redistribute to the places of greatest need? So that's how I define equity. And I think the last part of it that I think is really critical is that inequities are produced. They're not natural phenomena. Like these are things that are produced based on our policies and the spaces that we live in produces these inequities. And so that means that they're avoidable. And that's kind of the hope of it all. And we say that they're unjust as well, but but they're avoidable. So what do we need to do to avoid us getting these conditions and these realities that there are differences in health outcomes? Speaking to the history of health equity, can you give us a brief history of the efforts to address health inequities in the U.S.? So I started, you know, my first office of minority health in 2006. And when I started, the offices of minority health were kind of springing up across the country. They actually started in 1986. There was a Heckler report from Secretary Margaret Heckler, who was the former health secretary under the Reagan administration. There was a report that was published that showed these differences in health outcomes between blacks and whites. And it was from there, along with like organizing from folks like Satcher and Sullivan, who were all kind of in that space at that time, to say we need to have a dedicated focus on these inequities. And I think sometimes those are the pieces of history that get lost. But even before that, you know, if we look back at W.E.B. Du Bois, his report on the Philadelphia Negro was really, one, it's a landmark document. And it highlighted, and he was actually commissioned by, interestingly enough, Susan P. Wharton, the Wharton family of the business school in Philadelphia, to actually come to Philly as a student at Harvard to, it was really to kind of to justify why, you know, Blacks were responsible for their poor health. So what he did, though, clearly was flipped it and really demonstrated for the first time in terms of data that health was, again, determined by the conditions that they were living in. He brought in this context of these living conditions within the neighborhoods, the lack of sanitation, all of these things contributed to poor health. And then he also brought in the context of race. And he was the first one who did that in the early 1900s. Doesn't get enough credit even still to this day. But then 1986, as I mentioned, the federal report came out. From that report, then there were launches of Office of Minority Health across the country. There was evolution you know, of language from disparities and simple differences to inequities that really elevate that these are avoidable and unjust. And then you started to see kind of the evolution of language into offices and centers for health equity across the country. What are some ways health equity is being addressed today? I talk a lot about the importance of the inside work of an institution needs to happen in order to drive change on the outside of the institution. So if our teams and staff don't even understand what equity means, how it shows up in their day-to-day practice, how it influences like the, the decisions that they make and their mental models, you can't really change what you're doing or how to do things differently. Like in equity, we're saying we have to do things differently because what we're doing is not working. So that inside part, that inside strategy, what they call the organizational change work, is one of the strategies that institutions are starting to employ in order to drive equity. Others are like from the healthcare context, from health system context, I should say. What are they doing with their quality and safety systems? You know, quality 
and safety, you know, as a kind of an area, equity was a core part of it, was never really worked on that often. So we, now we see Joint Commission and all these folks now really coming in and stepping in and saying, you know, you need to have standards and metrics as it relates to driving equity. There has to be accountability. You cannot get to equity without accountability. And so now we see, you know, further embedding at health systems level through their quality and safety system is through equity and innovation, right? Understanding that this is a space and it's innovation founder startup capitalism, right? It's an exclusive space in terms of who has power, money in the space. It's still predominantly white men in this space. And women are excluded, people of color are excluded, LGBTQ, everyone's really excluded. You know, it's very small percentages. So what do we need to do? Recognizing as AMA has a role in a context to health innovation, especially, and it's important, what could we do to kind of drive an attention and consciousness that we need to hold ourselves differently and accountable to this exclusion? What are some important considerations when undertaking health equity initiatives? You know, first and foremost, leadership has to be fully on board with doing this work. I think a lot of folks are trying to do this work in their institutions, and it's exhausting being harmed, truthfully, after a while of doing this work with a lack of support, both from the leadership perspective and saying, we are committed to this as an institution. You all must kind of fall in line and figure out collectively how to do this. The other part that lacks support is usually the investment and the dollars. And so I say that if you're going to do this work, there has to be a financial investment at the institutional level to do it. The other thing is oftentimes folks get hired like myself as chief diversity officers, it runs the gamut, and they aren't well-staffed or well-funded to do this work either. And there has to be the leadership that says it's not just the work of the chief diversity officer. It's not just the work of the Center for Health Equity or the Office for Health Equity or Office of Minority Health, whatever it's called. It is the work of everyone to figure out how they embed equity at the intersection of the work that they do, right? So whether it's communications, whether it's data, whether it's budget and contracting, whether it's innovation, every aspect of that institution, they need to build that capacity, the knowledge and the skills in order to know what it means to embed equity into their work. There has been a lot of talk about health equity, about the problems, about potential innovations and solutions to address this challenge. So who is doing this work? And how are they moving beyond talk? There is one organization whose story stands out regarding how they are moving beyond discussion and taking definitive action to address inequities. The organization is the March of Dimes. Their president and CEO, Stacy Stewart, shares the story with us. When I read books on our history, I was really shocked and amazed to really understand how much the March of Dimes' focus was in ensuring that the polio vaccine would be made available and would be accessible to not just white communities, but to all communities. How much Black people were included in the clinical trials for the polio vaccine, the partnerships that happened with Tuskegee then Institute, where scientists from Tuskegee were involved in working on the research by Dr. Jonas Salk, so that we had Black scientific contributions in the development of the vaccine. March of Dimes understood very deeply, and I think this 
we have President Franklin Roosevelt to thank for this. And frankly, I like to say probably we have Eleanor Roosevelt to thank even more <laughs> for her insistence that if polio was going to be addressed in this country, that it, that Black people and underserved communities in the country had to be at the center of that. Now, remember, this was in the 40s and the 50s. This was in the middle of Jim Crow. This was before the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. And the insistence that the March and Abs' work would impact Black communities as much as they would impact any other community, I think was pretty historic. And I think what we are doing now as we've pivoted to maternal and infant health is to continue to now re-engage those emphasis around health equity as it relates now to making sure that every single mom is healthy and every single baby is healthy, especially in Black and Brown and Indigenous communities. The March of Dimes is leading the efforts to address maternal and infant health inequities. I even like to say that Stacy is the voice of maternal health. I wanted to talk with Stacy to ask some follow-up questions about the March of Dimes work and discuss what innovations she is seeing in health equity. What are some of the most interesting and exciting or transformative innovations being explored to address some of these issues? There is no one silver bullet solution to all of this. So we're looking at all things from policy change, right? Which what we're seeing in terms of systemic racism and systemic failures in the system really can only be addressed with widespread policy change. So things like extending Medicaid postpartum to at least 12 months, where one third of all maternal deaths happen one week after the baby is born out to one year. If we drop women from Medicaid, and by the way, Medicaid accounts for over 40% of all the births in this country. If we drop women from Medicaid coverage two months after the baby is born, when their health may still be at risk for another 10 months, that's putting many women at risk and is accounting for the fact that, you know, women's lives may be at risk because they're not even able to access basic care for continuing and chronic health conditions that may have been exacerbated as a result of pregnancy and childbirth. I think one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is that we need to have ways in which people can access care, even if they can't physically get to a doctor, right? Which many women were reluctant to go to their doctor's appointments in the middle of a pandemic if they were pregnant and were reluctant to understand whether or not they should get the vaccine while they were pregnant because we didn't even have the research available to demonstrate to them that it was safe. And in fact, we know now it is very safe and it is absolutely recommended to get the COVID vaccine even while you are pregnant. But early in the pandemic, we had all of those kinds of barriers. So what we needed to pivot to was digital health and mobile health. So being able to talk to your provider via FaceTime or via video call, it doesn't necessarily replace an in-person visit, but it certainly can help to tide you over until you absolutely do need to get to a hospital or do need to get to a provider. The last thing is around something that we have been really proud of, call our mom and baby mobile health centers. These are buses that actually were going to communities, bringing care to women where they were, so that if transportation is a barrier or you know getting to a provider is a, in any other way is a barrier, these mobile health centers have been serving thousands of women, providing ultrasounds, prenatal visits, pregnancy testing, preconception counseling, especially to high-risk women, especially in hard-to-serve communities, especially to women of color, whether that's in Washington, D.C. and Ward 7 and 8 or in rural parts of Appalachia. Who would you say is doing the most to drive these innovations? Are there any specific examples that stand out to you? I do think that there are a range of different companies, startup companies, innovative 
femtech companies, digital health technologies that really are trying some really incredible innovative approaches. You know, one of the things that we know is really important in maternal health is for women to be able to manage their heart health. We know that hypertensive disorders and other heart-related conditions are a leading cause of death or severe illness as a result of pregnancy and childbirth. So digital health companies that are piloting and pioneering new approaches to wearables and ways in which to monitor your health and your heart health and upload that data to a healthcare provider who can immediately see whether or not a woman may be having some heart-related conditions and may need to be seen immediately. Those are the kinds of things that need to be further implemented and scaled. Not only are they the kinds of technologies that can accelerate our ability to respond to symptoms and the needs of women, but it actually allows women and families to have greater ownership over their own health, which I think is really important. So those are some of the things that I think I'm really excited about. In addition to digital health and mobile health innovations, Stacy mentioned the importance of policy. I wanted to talk a bit more about this, because if we do not have the right policy solutions, we can potentially exacerbate health disparities. I'm talking with Bruce Siegel regarding policies that impact health equity. Bruce, you are the CEO and president of America's Essential Hospitals. You have an extensive understanding of the hospital landscape in underserved urban and rural environments. And you are really involved in what happens from a hospital policy perspective. What is the government doing to address health inequity? So you know, recently, Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, put forth a regulation. It's now fully in, in force that says that every hospital in our nation, essentially, is going to take accountability for health equity. You're going to have to have your CEO attest to the things you're doing in health equity across, I think, five areas. Things like collecting data on patient race, ethnicity, and language, and then looking at your quality performance by different group who uses your hospital. You're going to have to have equity in your strategic plan. Your board of directors and senior leaders are going to be expected to be engaging in this work and you to show evidence of that. Another thing that government is doing is saying that you're going to have to screen all your patients for social risk factors, things like food insecurity. So you have that coming in the regulatory space, and that's never been done before. Other things that are happening is you look at how ACOs are developed in our country. You know, the Biden administration, no secret, it, it, equity is one of, their, one of their major planks. And so they've taken ACO models, accountable care organization models we've had in this country, and said now part of our, our new version of this, the REACH ACO, you're going to have to focus on equity. You're a safety net provider. We're going to give you upfront funding to help you build this ACO because we know you have fewer resources. So there's that sort of, I think, proactive stance we're starting to see out of the federal government. I think a lot of the states are, are copying this, not all, or, you know, or somehow mirroring this. But it's an interesting time to be in this area. One of my frustrations has been how we had a great movement in this nation to do around patient safety and quality. But equity never fully came along for that ride. In too many instances, there was a belief, I'm sure there's many factors in this, implicit and explicit, that equity was off on the side. And I'd visit you know, hospitals, which is my business in many ways, and people would talk about their safety and quality breakthroughs. 
But equity wasn't part of that. Equity was something else that somebody else did in the organization. I think the things we're seeing now are changing that. And I think from the hospital and physician perspective, the more equity and quality are joined at the hip, the more real both of them are going to be. And to be clear, you can't achieve outstanding quality if you allow inequity to fester. And you can't have equity if quality and safety suffer. Each one requires the other. How will patients benefit from these changes? I will give you an example. You know, years ago, we did some field work with a large hospital that treated many African-American cardiac patients. When that institution looked at the data and was an early adopter of looking at implications or how the data looked by race and ethnicity, they saw really big outcome variations between African-Americans and other patients with, with poor African-Americans, which is what you usually see in disparities. You don't know that unless you look. And you can't assume excellence and you can't assume equity. So by taking that step, looking at the information, being willing to take that risk and do that, they will transform care in some very simple ways to ensure that everyone in their organization was getting the very highest quality care. So this is not a, a hypothetical conversation. This is real. This is not about, be about people's lives, how long they live, how happy they are, the stress they endure, whether they live or die. And that is the promise of focusing on equity as a key domain of everything we do in healthcare delivery and, and just in promoting health. There's a lot to be done to achieve health equity. Like Dr. Maybank said today, it's not just on the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to solve the health equity problems. It requires all of us in the healthcare space to address this long-standing challenge. Thank you for listening to this first episode of 21st Century Health. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts.